0: It's Easter, hallelujah, it's a beautiful thing. We want to read to you this morning from Mark, the 15th chapter. Now this is the day Jesus is uh, being crucified, that Friday. It says in verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 37 we read, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now for the disciples of Christ, this had to be the most hopeless moment of their life. You have to understand that for the disciples of Jesus, his closest disciples, for them to follow him was complete buy-in. They had totally put everything on Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, follow Jesus from the edges and kind of stick their toes in once in a while type thing. But then there are those who, as we all should, who are totally committed to the cause of Christ. These guys had left everything. They'd sold everything. They'd sacrificed everything. They were completely identified with Jesus because they believed Jesus to be the Messiah, which certainly he is and uh, they expected him to come as the conquering messiah which he will someday when he returns next time he comes he's not coming in a manger he's coming back kicking butt and taking names you know what i'm saying it's going to be spectacular but the bible also talked about him coming very humbly and suffering they were focused more on the latter and they missed the fact that jesus would be the suffering messiah even though he told them That's what he was going to do. He told them several times, look, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. And then I will be raised on the third day. And it was like talking to a wall. It's like they never heard him. They were totally shocked when it happened. But I guess in all fairness to them, we're all that way. The Bible tells all of us, hey, life is hard. And then when life is hard, we're surprised. How did this happen? I don't know. You know, we all kind of, we can't just slam the disciples. But even though Jesus told them, they were shocked when it happened so here they are he gets arrested kind of a big deal Peter's following from the outside they're all kind of checking out some of the disciples actually were there at the foot of the cross you know even when he was still breathing on that cross as horrible as all that was they still held out hope in fact you can read where they said that some were saying when he cries out like this look look God's gonna come and save him God's gonna come and and save him because surely now God's going to show up. I mean, it's awful as it? now, surely now God will show up. There was still hope. And then Jesus took his last breath. <sighs> and now all hope was gone. They were stunned. They did not expect this. They were amazed that this happened. They all went back totally disheartened and without hope. Now, Satan, of course, was grinning from ear to ear like a Cheshire cat, couldn't have been happier. He thought this was a big win for him. See, the Bible says that Satan had no idea what was going on. The Bible tells us if if Satan would have known that Jesus would be crucified, then raised from the dead and Christianity would spread throughout the earth, he would have never messed with him. But he was ignorant. He thought he had a big win. He loves it when people get depressed. Here there's disciples who are all full of faith are just, ah, and he's happy. Satan wants to fill people with a sense of hopelessness. And you can tell you're in a state of hopelessness when you think like this, it's too late, it's too far gone, nothing more can be done. You see, once a person has been convinced that there's nothing more that can be done, All hope leaves and what moves in is despair, emptiness, and deep depression. A sense of profound hopelessness. And a state of hopelessness is a terrible place to be. But make no mistake, Satan is desperately trying to push you into a state of hopelessness. Now the Bible teaches us that we should never lose hope. That we should always live in the encouragement of hope. You can read it throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 9. Encourages people, look, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Don't lose heart. Proverbs 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Psalm 43, he's talking to himself. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? What's the matter? Snap out of it. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. There's a living hope. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Why, Pastor, why should I wait? Because there's still hope. Ecclesiastes 9 says, Anyone who is among the living has hope, as long as you're still breathing. The Old Testament said, you have hope. I love he goes on to say, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. (laughs) At least the dog's alive. Life, you're still breathing. There's breath in your lungs. You still have hope. The message of the Old Testament is as long as you're still breathing, you have hope. But the message of Easter is that even if you stop breathing, you have hope. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even death cannot rob us of hope. The only way you get to hope is when you make a decision to step away from hope and into hopelessness. And just as in all areas of faith, a decision must be made to live in hope or dwell in despair. Despair does not just happen. A lot of people think, oh, it just happened. I don't know how I got so depressed. No, 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 you make a choice. At some point, you decide it's too late. It's gone too far. There's nothing else that can be done. Nothing will change and you step out of hope into despair and make no question about it. It is a decision that you make. It's just like there's light and dark. Just like there's light and dark, there's hope and despair. You're either in one or the other. There is no middle ground. If you think your situation is too late, it's gone too far, it's too late for me, I'm too old, I miss my chance in life, my marriage is too far gone, my kids are too possessed of the devil. Which may be, but I don't know. But I mean, it's too bad. It's gone so far, pastor. You don't think you're making a choice, but you are making a choice when you talk like that. You are choosing to step away from hope and into hopelessness. You are stepping into despair. Hope is a state of faith. The message in the resurrection of Jesus is that it's never too late. It's never too bad. And we are never abandoned. Hope is a state of faith. Despair is a state of unbelief. Now, God has always gone out of his way to show people that it's never too late. In fact, he oftentimes puts people in situations where it gets worse before it gets better just to show us it's never too late. We read about Abraham, great man of faith, Abraham, the father of faith. His name was Abram, God changed it to Abraham which means a father of a multitude. A very respectful thing you could say to yourself in that culture. He had no children, but God gave him hope. Changed his name. Your name is Abraham. Father of a multitude. He'd come into town, people would say, what's your name? Abraham. Wow, how many kids you got? <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I don't think this guy knows what Abraham means, you know what I'm saying? But he waited and the Bible says in Romans 4, 18, against all hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. What do you mean against all hope? He was an old man. See, it's one thing when God comes to you, as a young man says, you will have many offspring. Well, yes, of course, I'm a man. That's what I do, you know. We offspring, we spring around, that's what we do. We're very springy. (laughs) And you're full of hope, and then you get older. Pretty soon you're like me on the verge of geezerhood. (laughs) Then you enter geezerhood. Then you come out the other side of geezerhood. This was Abraham. The guy is pushing a hundred years old. He's not exactly candidate material for father of the year. He's not even a Viagra candidate at this point. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The man's 100 years old. I mean, the ship has sailed. They don't talk about. (laughs) God intentionally waited, 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 waited until it seemed like there was no hope. But the Bible says against hope, Abraham believed in hope. He refused to let go. God will not fail me. The Bible calls him the father of faith. In the midst of his faith, this miracle occurs and his wife gets pregnant. And everybody was, wow! This is very impressive. <laughs> Abraham, in a hope, believed, so became the father of nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He was told your offspring would be like the stars of the heaven. Without weakening in his faith, he, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He wasn't stupid, he knew it. He saw, he's past geezerhood. Nothing's working. He's an old man. He wasn't stupid. Because only a crazy person is not aware of their circumstances. Right? He said, I'm crazy to be in these circumstances. No! You're crazy when you're not aware that you're in the circumstances. Right? Crazy people don't know where they're at. He knew where he was at. He wasn't crazy. He knew what his body was. He knew the station. But in the midst of seemingly hopelessness he hung on to hope he did not waver and God brought the miracle so since he was about a hundred years old and then the Sarah's womb was also dead he knew he was not a stupid man he knows how these things work but stood in faith Moses same situation with Moses this is throughout the Bible now Moses now we all know the story of Moses Moses comes to Pharaoh and says let my people go Pharaoh goes I'm not letting them go he says, all right, then you're gonna have a plague. Plague comes, Pharaoh says, I'm still not letting them go. Another plague comes, I'm still not. I mean, how dumb is this Pharaoh? Plague after plague, I'll tell you what, you fill my house with frogs, I'm out of there. <laughs> but this cat wouldn't let up. Plague after plague after plague after plague, and finally, <laughs> okay, go, go. And finally, this nation of slaves, steps into freedom after 400 years of slavery. They step out free at last, free at last, thank God almighty I'm free at last. And they didn't go out poor. The Bible says they raided the joint before they left. (laughs) They took everything, all the gold, all the silver, all the big screen TVs, they took it all. (laughs) The Egyptians were freaked out, but after all those plagues, who could deal with it? And the Bible says they are headed toward freedom. It's all good. Now, we know they wound up by the Red Sea, trapped. <clears throat> but what a lot of people don't understand is they weren't headed for the Red Sea. They were headed for freedom. <laughs> it's all good. I'm out of here, right? And then God tells them, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Okay, and then it says here, Exodus 14, then the Lord says to Moses, okay, tell the, to t- the Israelites to turn back. What? Hello? We're out of here. No, 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 no. Turn them around. And and then encamp near p Harith, whatever, between Migdal and this, it's it's south of Madison. Okay? And, and, and they're to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. And words, God purposely tells them, okay, turn around, go back over here and you're going to be in a trap. You're going to put your back to the sea and you're going to be sitting ducks and I'm gonna bait Pharaoh. He does this on purpose. He says, I will then, uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the, des- in the land in confusion, hummed in by the desert. Look at these dummies. They don't even know where they're going. And remember, God did this to them. God, Mr. Zap with a bunch of plagues. Now God intentionally sticks them in a situation where they're sitting ducks. You ever feel like that? Oh, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? Ah! That's where you need to stand in hope, you see. Don't make the decision to step out of hopeless, hope into hopelessness. It's too late, it's too far, it's too gone. He intentionally puts them in a bad situation. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelis did this. Now check it out. They are cruising along. They are headed to freedom. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Back up and go over here by the sea. I need to put you in a situation where it looks really bad, where you are trapped They are hemmed in. God told them to go to a place where it seemed hopeless. And the people freaked. Pharaoh did see that they were trapped. He said, let's go get them. The Bible says in verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? You brought us out here in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? They freaked, we're toast. It's too late. We had it made if we'd have just kept heading south. We're good, but no, 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 we gotta back up. God puts us in a hopeless situation. God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? God did it on purpose why just to prove it's never too late the bible says then moses stretched his hand over the sea and all night long the lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land the waters were divided and the israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left of course the bible tells us the egyptians thought well if they can go through there we can go through so the Egyptian army comes barreling down, and Moses goes, and the whole thing, and they all got killed. That's uh, they took a bath. It was it was not good. Why would God do that? Why would God intentionally stick them in a situation where it got worse? I know what a lot of people think. They think, oh God. God must not care because it's gotten worse. Listen to me. It's never too late. It's never hopeless. See, Pastor, why is this happening? Sometimes God lets stuff happen just so when He shows up, you know it's really Him. Yeah, amen. See, because if the Israelites were doing this on their own, I think you know we're just pretty smart. We get out of here. Because I ah, back up, go park yourself in this bad spot, and watch what I do. This is throughout the Bible, over and over again. I love the story of Gideon. Gideon, this this judge, one of the judges of Israel. Now Gideon, in the beginning, is a coward. He is the ultimate girly man. It's embarrassing, I mean, you know, most of us in our moments of cowardice, it's not recorded and broadcast through history in the Bible. Thank God, but poor Gideon, you know. The Bible starts out and it says, Gideon in the beginning, he's hiding in the basement like a little girl. He's scared because the Midianites are in town and they're kicking butt and taking names and he's freaking out. And at his most humiliating moment of a, as a coward, the Bible says an angel appeared to him and said, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I am a girly man. He says, no, you are a mighty warrior. And he starts speaking into Gideon's life and fills him with faith and confidence. And now Gideon is going out against this huge army in the tens of thousands. He is greatly outnumbered. He rallies together the men of the country. 32,000 men show up. They're ready for battle, but they are greatly outnumbered and they start heading for the battle. This is where we join in. Now verse two of Judges, the seventh chapter says, "'The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men.'" (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) We don't have enough men. We are greatly outnumbered. God says, no, you got too many guys. And this is what his reasoning he says, I cannot deliver Midian, these Midianites, into your hands or Israel will boast and say, well, my own strength has saved me. See, sometimes God allows you to get in situations so you can start to understand you can do this on your own, that only he can do it. And you start to lean on him and trust him and God then shows up if you'll stay in faith. But see, a lot of us, we get to that point and we step out of faith into despair and we become hopeless, and then you stay stuck in that place. So anyway, God tells him this, he says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead, and so 22,000 men said, okay, see ya, and they took off. Now this is humiliating. This is very non-manly. I mean, you've all seen movies, right, in these scenes where these guys are going into these impossible odds and the leader looks at the man and says, anybody want to turn back? Turn back now. And of course, nobody ever turns back, right? Because you're a man. We're men. Somos hombres. We have to stand our ground, right? Even if you're scared to death, you're not going to turn around and go. That would be unmanly. Even a man's got to fake it at some point, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no problem, I'm not leaving. (laughs) No, I'm I'm staying here. I mean, who in the movies ever turned, nobody goes back. It's totally unmanly to turn around and go back. So Gideon comes to his guy and says, look, anybody afraid, just turn around and go home. (laughs) 22,000 guys go, oh, great, man, I'm out of (laughs) here. I was like, what? Clearly, they never saw an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, these people. <laughs> you know, turn back. Men don't turn back in those situations. 22,000 guys turn around and leave. <laughs> Seriously discouraging. So he's down to 10,000 men. Okay. 10,000 know, 10, guys at least, something. And verse 4, the Lord says to Gideon, there are still... Too many men. What are you doing to me? What do you mean there's too many men? I'm down to 10,000. I have 32,000. Thanks for the help, by the way. The Lord says, Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out there for you. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate your help. Go away. I mean, what do you do? God is intentionally look at this thing and say, I mean, these guys thought it was hopeless. And God goes, no, nah, that's not hopeless enough. 22,000 Take off. No, it's still not hopeless enough. Go down to the water. I'll thin it out. When God got done, there were 300 guys left. <laughs> oh, man. This is bad, okay? If you have an army of 32,000, at least you can feel like a man, at least die like a man. Now you're down to 300 guys. This is bad. This is awful. But as you keep reading the story, God shows up and these 300 guys vanquish an entire army. It is one of the greatest military victories in the history of mankind. 300 guys. Now, any of you guys see the movie 300? That's a good movie, isn't it? Cutting heads off. What's not to love, right? It's a beautiful thing. And these guys, they yeah, they all stood their ground. Huh? Anybody going to go home? No, I'm not going to go home. Even those 300 guys stuck around all died. It's based on a true story. But they all died. Gideon's 300 beat an entire army and did not take a single casualty. Because when God shows up, God shows up, see. But the difference is you got to make a decision. Are you going to stay in hope or are you going to step into despair? Many of us, I dare say most of us, when we get into those situations where good becomes bad and bad becomes worse and it looks hopeless, we step out of hope. And we step into despair. And when you do that, it, it dissolves the power of God that's at work for you. We have to understand, we have to make an intentional decision. say, Pastor, it's hard, it's hard, it's so hard, it seems so hopeless. Listen to me, the message of Easter is it is never hopeless, it's never hopeless too late it's never gone too far it is never beyond God's reach to help you if God can vanquish an entire army with 300 guys I don't think he freaks out when you can't make your credit card payment this month I don't think he freaks out based on whatever circumstance you're looking at you have to understand our God is capable of anything so how do I get there you stay in hope you make that decision. I will trust God no matter what happens to me because nothing can happen where I lose hope because it never becomes hopeless. In the Old Testament, as long as I'm alive and breathing, it's never hopeless. But the New Testament tells us even if you drop down dead, and quit breathing, it's still not hopeless. We do not lose in this deal. We always triumph in Christ. Indeed, Jesus' disciples must have been filled with profound despair that weekend as they watched their master die In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, and he reminds them what Jesus had told them. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And as he continued to read, Jesus starts showing up. And these guys are filled with amazement. How is this possible? He shows up to all the disciples. The disciples are like flipping out. Thomas isn't there, you remember. Thomas comes back, man, we just saw Jesus. I don't believe it. Why? Because he had stepped into despair. Even though they told him, dude, I'm telling you, we just saw him. We just talked to him. I can't believe it. See, despair, even overwhelming evidence to the contrary. When you step into despair, you can't hear anymore. There was no reason for these guys to make this up. They weren't trying to prove anything. They were as freaked out as Thomas was. But now they saw Jesus. They talked to Jesus. He was there. And all of them said, I'm telling you, he was just here. And he would not believe Why? Because when you step into despair, you step into hopelessness, you can't hear anything. You can't hear me. You can't hear your family. You can't hear your Christian friends trying to speak into your life. Listen to me, friends. You need to be careful. You need to be careful not to make that intentional step into despair. You say, Pastor, but it's so hard, it's gotten so bad. I know, sweetie, but you have to understand it's never too late. Your situation is never so far gone that God can't show up. Thomas finally says, Until I actually feel him and touch him and put my fingers into his hands where the nails were, I'll never believe. Finally, Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas, here, put in your fingers. And of course, he falls to the ground and says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you know, you believe, but blessed are those who believe and never see. That's you. That's me. We still experience 2,000 years later this glorious experience of faith in God through Jesus Christ. And this encouraging message this morning is Be patient Don't lose heart Don't give up Keep praising and celebrating God Because it's never too late And when you start to really understand that It changes you on the inside Even though you might go through miserable circumstances And we all go through miserable circumstances From time to time But when you stand in faith You can keep celebrating Why? Because you have hope Even though, as my phone goes off, that's embarrassing. (laughs) Please silence your phones. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Even when things seem totally hopeless, you can still have hope and be filled with joy even though you don't have it yet. Here's an analogy as we close. Recently, some people just shared in the largest, one of the largest uh, lottery jackpots in history, you know, slicing up over $600 million. That's a good day, all right? Some of you rascals tried to win yourselves. Actually, I wish one of you would have. But anyway, that's a whole different deal. <laughs> I'd like to see that offering check. Praise God, hallelujah. But do you know when the joy of winning the lottery hits is when you realize you won. Not when you get the money. Oh, when you get the money is great. I'm sure without a doubt. But I dare say when they get the money, there's more pressure on them than ever. Oh, everybody's after me, you know, you start hearing from relatives, you thought we're all dead. You know, it's resurrection Sunday, you know, hey, I love you cousin, how are you? I don't know you, You everybody loves you now. The joy happens the moment you realize "Ah, I won! (laughs) Now listen to me. These guys might be in terrible circumstances. They maybe can't pay their bills. They maybe just lost their job. I'm telling you, the minute they see they have won, joy sweeps over them, they are ecstatic has anything changed? no are they still broke? yep are they still in the same house they've been in all those? yes, physically in reality nothing has changed yet they are filled with inexpressible joy why? because they realize "Ah, I I won! you have to understand people oftentimes look at christians and say Why are you people so happy? What's the matter with you folks? Your situation stinks. Things are awful. You're still in jail for heaven's sakes. Hallelujah to all our prisoners here. These guys over here smiling this morning. They don't get to go home and watch TV. After this, you go back to jail. Don't worry, they're not violent. (laughs) Clutching their children closer. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh! Non violent criminals. They get out for church. God bless them. They're working their way out of the system. Hallelujah. But yet they're filled with joy. How can a Christian be filled with joy even when things are hard? Because we never lose hope. (laughs) We win! We win! That's the message of Easter this morning. Hallelujah. Okay, I gotta shut up, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this glorious message today that he is risen, that even in the midst of total hopelessness, we still have hope. That God, you have demonstrated to us clearly in the resurrection of Jesus, that it's never too late. Indeed, Solomon wrote, as long as you have breath, that's never too late, but you have shown us even when we have no breath, it's still not too late. We never lose. We never fail. We are triumphant in Christ. We can be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory because our hope does not rest in our own strength. We may be down to the last 300 in our lives, but it's never too late. We praise you and we thank you. This day we reflect on this glorious day when you were raised from the dead and how we can experience you today. Lord. Fill people with hope today. Those who have stepped into despair, help them to step back. Help them to put their hope and their trust in you and to realize that with Christ, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you.